Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 145. Some of you may have seen that I uh, was uh, privileged to join in the morning show yesterday on Hope 104.5, and uh, as Eliza listened on the way to work, she sent me a text, and it said, you sound good on the radio. And I responded back, and I said, well, how do I look? Uh, she said, well, you look good too. But I will note that she was either driving or she had to think about that one for a minute. Because so, it seemed to take a couple minutes for her to respond. So, Psalm 145. Would you pray with me? Blessed be your name, the psalmist wrote, the hymn writer wrote, the theologians across the age declare that that should be the statement of our souls. We confess, far too often though it is not. Help us, Lord, in these next few moments as we gather to feast on your word and to sup at your table. To be enabled to live lives that are truly expressions that say, blessed be your name. Grant me the words, Lord, that are needed for those who have gathered to hear from you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. David writes in verse number one of Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And then verse 10, he says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. I think we are fooling ourselves if we believe this challenge that David offers to us here in 145 is easily fulfilled in our lives all the time. Life is difficult. One call can change everything. And this year, this year has been hard, not just on us personally in so many different ways, but it has been hard on our nation. We are still adjusting to a new normal 
in a post-pandemic world. We've each struggled through the hardships that have accompanied higher inflation and shortages in our stores. This would be sufficient. This would be sufficient to make it difficult to praise the name of God at all times. But then we factor in all of the family challenges we each face. Deaths occur. Situations change. The unimaginable becomes visible, tangible, and finally, reality. All this makes Thanksgiving difficult. Now, there are some who will state that without blinking, without even thinking, that there is much to be thankful for and admonish each of us who would say it is hard to give thanks to ignore the vicissitudes of life. I admire that sentiment and that mentality. Unfortunately, I fear it very often breeds what I will term rents and repeat thanksgivings. The same litany of what they are thankful for is repeated again and again and again and again and again. Nothing new is added. And I personally find that very hard to swallow in light of the fact that the mercies of God, Scripture declares to us, are new every morning. And yet, in their rinse and repeat thanksgivings, they never seem to be named or acknowledged. With such a mindset, how does one ever find anything new to thank God for? In the midst of facing personal challenges, how does one find something to thank God for? David in Psalm 145 advises us that we achieve this through involving ourselves in conversation with others. Notice verse 10 again. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. All your works, David says. All your saints. In other words, all of creation cries out to God about his greatness. It is not just a community-wide effort. It is not just a national effort. It is a worldwide effort. Now the question is, do we hear the saints of the world cry out? Do we hear what they are saying from all realms and all places about how good God is. To do so will require us to listen to what they're saying, and not simply to listen, but to acknowledge that listening is not something that is done passively. 
Listening should be active. In other words, it should be engaging in our minds. And to do that, it would require us to do something that we do not necessarily wish to do all the time. And that is to be silent. Verse number five says, On the glorious, excuse me, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. I will meditate. Literally, I will ponder. I will take the time to mull it over in my mind. I will let it digest and simmer inside of my brain. I will sit there and think about it and cogitate on it. I will sit there in my silence and hear and make it part of myself. And let us understand, yet again, we do not like to do that. We do not like to sit in silence. We don't like any silence. We do not like dead air. We feel that we have to fill the void. And so we ramble on about something that we hadn't even thought about. Let us also acknowledge that we don't generally like to be in conversation with folks who are different from us because we are so self-centered that we don't want to hear someone else's views. We just wish to inform them of ours. We might not want to admit that, but beloved, each of us know in some way in our own lives it is the truth. They may think differently in any number of ways that may challenge us, may challenge how we think, how we act, how we worship how we live and move in our world. The list of things that having to listen to someone else who is different from us might change is long. And as we sit down across from them, we may think that they are the uninvited guests who mar our Thanksgiving dinners. When I went off to Carolina... Something that had occurred intermittently in my time previously at home changed and soon became what I would describe as a nagging propensity on behalf of my family to bring those to our Thanksgiving table that I will call uninvited guest. People I had no clue who they were would suddenly be going to dine with us, I would learn upon my arrival to Richlands on Wednesday evening on Thursday. People I considered outside of my family. People that I just didn't want to be around because I had been away at college or further on down the line, away at work or graduate school, and I just didn't want to have to deal with them. I didn't want to have to listen to whatever inane things they wanted to tell me about. I wanted to talk about what was going on in my world. Yet through generally the invitation of my father or the acquiescence of my grandmother or my mother, they were there, present. They were part of thanksgiving. 
And it didn't matter what I think. It didn't even matter that I had a seat at the table because just five years ago at Thanksgiving, when we went home for the first Thanksgiving in several years, we found ourselves, my entire house, set at the children's table while these uninvited guests were sitting at my parents' table. The audacity. I had to beg and borrow to get something passed to me because I found myself in a whole other room of the house. While these people who were not even named in the will got all the stuffing that they wanted. Beloved, God has brought all sorts of uninvited guests into our lives. He has brought and he continues to bring people for us to encounter, for us to listen to, because they are the key to us having the ability to engage in continuous thanksgiving to God. How so? Well, first... They enable us to hear how God has been at work previously. Verse number four says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Again, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. They will say something and I will respond. They will declare your fame, verse 7 says. Better word there is to memorialize, for they shall pour forth the memorial of your abundant goodness. Beloved, we only memorialize what is past. In other words, these people that we are to be in conversation with as they share with us what God has done talks about the fact that God has been at work in the past. And they tell us this. In dialogue, nowhere in this conversation in verses 4 through 7 do we see that it is a top-down conversation. It is not a you are going to listen to me. It says, one generation shall commend your works to another. In other words, there's this call and response back and forth, back and forth. As They say, this is what God has done for me. And they declare back, this is what God has done to me. It is not an older, grayer crowd declaring to a bunch of younger folks, you're going to listen and you're going to like it about what God has done. It is the older folks saying, well, this is how God has worked here. And the younger folks saying, well, this is how God has worked here. And as we hear that God has been at work in lives far and wide, it should well up within us thanksgiving for all he's done, for all he has done. Beloved, alone in all he's done, we have sufficient thanksgiving. Sometimes we miss that because we are dwelt once again only on ourselves and our self-centeredness. But as we hear what he has done in others' lives, from these uninvited guests, we declare our thanks 
Secondly, our listening to others enables us to hear where God is now, presently at work. Verse 10, again, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Let us remember, beloved, that the kingdom of God is not bound by temporal or geographic boundaries. The kingdom of God has no start or finish on this globe of ours. God is at work in all places. Places you and I have never heard of, God is there. And He is at work. And He is not simply at work in the mundane of the things of this world. He is continuously breaking forth in miraculous ways into situations far and wide. Sometimes in ways that are just grand, in ways that everyone can see. And in other times, it's just maybe for a community to see. And sometimes we would say that that would be insignificant. But it's there. And it's hard to see that. It's hard to see where God is at work if you and I are confined to our own circumstances and into our narrow and myopic worldviews. For we serve an expansive God who is working far and wide and we grow in our thanksgiving to Him when we recognize the impact that God is having in saints' lives Everywhere. Everywhere. It's Wednesday. It's prayer meeting night at Grove Park. The prayer sheet goes out. And you know, most of us would say the most important part of our prayer sheet is at the front of it. Right? It's where we announce who's in the hospital. The most important part of our prayer sheet is where we highlight... If someone has been switched to uh, some f- uh, new health care facility. Or maybe the most important part of our prayer sheet is every name written in red to acknowledge a change. Maybe the most important part we'll say is there toward the end where we talk about those families that are grieving. But beloved, I truly believe the most important part, not saying that any of the other parts are insignificant. If you hear me say that, you have misheard. But the most important part is that last section where we talk about somewhere else in the world. Somewhere else in the world that you and I have never heard of. Most of the time, I learn something new every week when I look at, like last week's Tanzania and its numerous languages that have never been translated. And I know that in the translation work that is going on there, God is at work. And it should well up within me thanksgiving. Beloved, God brings these uninvited guests to tell us what he is doing now. And he tells us also with whom he is working now. Verse number 15 says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, 
you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Who are these people that God is at work with? Everyone. Yes, everyone. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food. He says, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. It doesn't just satisfy the desire of the people who live here in our country. It doesn't just satisfy the desire of the people that we would term good and holy folk. It satisfies the desire of all. And it's not just desire. That word has a further meaning there. And if you were to go back into the Hebrew, it means to acceptance. In other words, God feels that the, the longing of every heart, the longing of every heart is to want to be loved and to know that they are tended to and cared for as they are. And so into every heart, God pours that. He says, I love you and I care for you. You are important to me. Not just to the folks, beloved, that you and I might recognize that God would do that too, but it says here quite clearly to everyone. Every person. But then he goes further. He goes further than that. Verse 4 and 14, he says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. And then verse 18, The Lord is near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth, He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him by all the wicked. He, but all the wicked He will destroy. God is particularly at work, David wants us to understand and the marginalized of our world. Those who are falling, those who are, who are weighted down, who are bowed down, those who are crying out in urgent need, those who need saving, those who are in danger of not being preserved, or who think they are not going to be preserved. The ones who are the closest to the edge are the ones who seem so desperate to God, for God's rather, that they see God working in their lives in ways that you and I cannot encounter. I know that I seem to keep coming back a lot lately to these folks, but it seems to me that Scripture speaks of them far too often for me to ignore. And I think part of the reason why Scripture does this, I've gathered from this psalm, is not simply because God wants me to go to those who are falling and catch them. God does not want me simply to go to those who are bowed down and lift off the weight from them. God doesn't want each of us to go to those who are about to perish and preserve them, to go and be the answer to their cried out needs. God wants us to hear from them in that moment of lifting and salvation and saving and rescuing just how he has worked in their lives. In ways, beloved, that you and I have never, could never understand because we're not there. We are not on the margins. Not one of us here is on the margins of our society. But God is working there. The places that we have forgotten, He is there with people we have forgotten. And He is telling them in ways that you and I cannot express how much He loves them. And as He declares that and they declare that to us, 
that should open us up to full ways of thanksgiving. As we seek to thank God for His abundant provision to them, His protection for them, and yes, His creativity in His protection and provision as He makes a way where there seems to be no way for them. So we must encounter them. We must listen to them. And finally, God enables us to hear by our listening to these uninvited guests the means of his work. Look at verse number 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And then verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Did you catch all of those? Did you catch all those words? He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. Read that as patient, long-suffering. He's abounding in covenant love. That, that, when, when the scripture says here steadfast love, that's covenant love. He's abounding in covenant love. In other words, he's, he has made a covenant and he will not break it. He will keep pouring his, his love toward them. Though they turn away, he will still keep doing it. That's how he loved Israel and continued to bring it back. But he doesn't stop there. He talks about how God is good, how God's mercy is all-encompassing. In verse number 9, his mercy is over all that he has made. He is righteous. In other words, he is just. Those words are, are synonyms in the scripture. Righteousness and justice are synonyms. So he's just and he's kind. These are the means through which God acts. And beloved, each of us needs to hear this from people who have experienced them in a plethora of ways. So that they become more real to us. So that we really can say God is gracious and His grace is amazing. And we know it's amazing because how we felt it. But when you hear about how someone else felt God's amazing grace, you find out just how more amazing it is. And then when you go over and you talk to somebody else about how just amazing grace is, you hear how God's worked in their life and you think, wow, that's even more amazing. And then you go over to someone else that you would never, ever talk to. I mean, beloved, let's, let's just be honest. Let's be blunt for a minute. Have you ever sat down and talked to someone who's made a career out of being a prostitute and God saved them? And have you heard how grace flowed to them? I dare say none of us here have. But boy, won't it make grace amazing when you hear their encounter. Won't it make God, grace amazing when you hear about how God took someone off the street who was bound to, to, was soon to kill someone and suddenly they didn't. These are not people that we like to encounter. These are uninvited guests who mar our thanksgiving. But these are the people, beloved, that God wants us to interact with and God wants us to know so that we can express in new and profound ways as we learn from them and they learn from us just how wonderful He is. So that our thanksgiving is continuous. God brings these people into our lives to make our thanksgiving fresh 
You're about to dig into a brown bag. You're about to dig into a brown bag. I say that and I cannot help but think about encountering someone who digs into brown bags for other things. And how grace needs to be found to them. And maybe we need to be the one to hear from them how grace had come to them. But if you were to pull out right now your piece of bread, your Hawaiian, King's Hawaiian roll, and it were stale, what would you think? Man, you'd be upset at the deacons. Why'd they buy stale bread? Couldn't they go get fresh bread? Couldn't they read the expiration date? Why did they do that? Why do you do that, beloved? Why do you do that? Why do you keep offering to God stale thanksgivings? Why do you keep refusing the fresh bread that He grants to each of us through the uninvited guest He brings to our tables? Why do we refuse to listen? Why do we refuse to remember that there was once a point in time that we were the unexpected and uninvited guest? And somebody told us about grace and said, Here, pull up a chair at the table and eat. And we tasted and saw that the Lord is good. Beloved, the best way I know that you can live out verse number 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever is if your thanksgiving is not stale. And the surefire way I know for your thanksgiving to never ever become stale is if you go out and find the uninvited and unexpected guests that God brings to your door every day and dine with them. Is it easy? No. No, it's not easy. Most of you know that the relationship that I have with my brother is and has been strained. We are uninvited guests at each other's tables. And yet yesterday, one of the most important things in our lives took a journey unlike any journey she had ever taken before. And she got lost in between. And so we spent the afternoon trying to direct our mother from her house to mine. And when she finally got to my house, she said, you need to call your brother. And in that call, I heard grace. In a way, I hadn't heard it before. 
and a thanksgiving in a way I hadn't heard it before. Such that neither one of us found ourselves at that moment in time as we listened to each other, uninvited guests at different tables, but seated at the same table of brotherhood in thanksgiving for a parent. A reminder to us all that the uninvited guests have something to say and that each of us are children of God who must be thankful for a parent that we all share. And as we hear that point, we hear him say, come to table. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.